1: It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato From just outside New York a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. O.C.U. Minoru lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it. A podcast for Giants fans who are rabid. Who can't wait for Sundays. The NFC East the Fantasy League standards. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. This is the big new
2: New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneider. And as always, my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today, we come to you after a New York Giants football win. That's one. I mean, I thought I was about to say two in a row, but I forgot the Chiefs game in between that Panthers game. One, they they could have won, but they they didn't come out with the victory. But they got the win today against the Raiders team. Obviously, there's all the talk and the narrative of West Coast teams coming to the East Coast for those one o'clock games. But I don't think this was the case of that. I think this was more so the case of Giants kind of building on what they showed toward the end of last season. Now, I want to caveat that by saying, again, they didn't play any good quarterbacks, played a bunch of backup quarterbacks last season. But this was not the same. I mean, they just beat up on Patrick Mahomes. I know it's not Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs offensive. old, but this Raiders offense came to this game, I believe, averaging the fourth most yards per passing attempt. They're really up there amongst the NFL ranks in in the passing game. And that's, to me, the true indicator of a great offense. And so the Giants did a great job shutting them down. It's kind of like it's coming a little earlier this year. It's very similar to me, Nick. Like, that's my main takeaway to start. And I'll, I'll curious to hear your takeaway. My main takeaway is I feel like it's almost deja vu from 2020 to 2021. This offense is still atrocious, maybe even worse, honestly, than it was in the back half of last season. And the defense is starting to come together and play a lot like they did in that Seattle game last year. Now that's three games in a row of really good defensive play, and it's glad. I'm you know who I'm happy. You know what I'm most happy about, and I'll turn it over to you, Nick. Our boy who we've been talking about for weeks. I've been talking about him since like week two or three on film. At week one, I thought he was good. Week one. And he's getting no love all season. Finally, Adoree Jackson starting to get the love that he deserves. He's had a really strong season for the Giants. He's made a big difference. And I know they were bad at the beginning of the year, but now this secondary and this defense is coming together. Props to all the players. we got a lot to talk about in this defense, but that's my main takeaway. It's kind of starting to feel a lot like 2020, but at least it's coming sooner. Like, they didn't wait as long. Well, I guess that's not true. They were 2-6 and six to start last season as well. Um, but one final thing, Nick. One thing I found interesting. The Giants three and six right now. This is actually their best start through nine games since 2016. <laughs> three and six—that is the pain that we've been through. The absolute pain. I can't believe it. I saw that Saturday. That courtesy of Jordan Ronan. I couldn't believe that stat, Nick. It was like pff, my mind was blown. I was like, Have <laughs> we really been put through that much pain to start every season? But here we are. Defense starting to play better. They're three and six. That wild card's
1: so wide open. Maybe they'll sneak into that seven spot which is just a testament to how gross the NFC is right now. Atlanta holds that wild card spot at four and four. Oh we should have a- beat that stupid team. Ah, I know, man, I know should it be Washington. We could have beat Kansas City, but what it should have could have? It doesn't really mean anything at this point. It's just Washington, upsetting I think, is
2: man. the one we were talking about. Where would you rank? Uh, where would you rank on a scale of one to ten, like how much they should have won that game? Like Washington <laughs> I feel like it was like nine of nine of ten times they win that game.
1: Yeah, Washington, I would have to say nine of ten. Atlanta, I would say like seven and a half out of ten. Yes. And then Kansas City, I'm not gonna I don't want to go over five, uh, depending no. on like depending on how we are actually like uh, judging this. But they could have won that Kansas City. They put themselves in a position to win that game. It just didn't fall right for them towards the end.
2: And Atlanta is a weird one because Atlanta, it's seven and five, seven, five, fair, but they dominated that Atlanta game. Like they we did. rewatched that thing on all twenty-two. That to me was like Washington was one instance of really bad coaching at the end after the interception when they just ran, ran out of the same formation and settled for the field goal. But Atlanta was a full game, in my opinion, of really, really bad coaching. It was it, it was one of the tightest, tightest, ooh tight, like clench, clench, clench type game plans I've seen from the Giants really all season, like even tighter than today's, even tighter than the Washington. The Washington was pretty open. I mean, they were trying to move the ball a little bit through the air with the zone read. That Atlanta game was, they were moving the ball and they just didn't care about touchdowns. It felt like it just felt like they were totally fine just kicking those field goals. And then eventually, obviously it came back to haunt them with that quarter Patterson at the end. But man, oh man, if they'd even just gotten one of those games at four and five right now, it would have felt a lot better. But what can you do? Three and six, they're in it.
1: Exactly. Three and six. <laughs> that's just uh, that's just the MC, like we said, man. But this was a nice win. I mean, it, it wasn't anything spectacular. They didn't reinvent the wheel or anything like that. But the defense coming together over the last three weeks, it's excellent to see. Then build upon them. Absolutely. This is what we talked about, Dan. We talked about them building upon the fact that they would just beat the crap out of Sam Darnold and whatever's left of that Carolina Panthers offense. Maybe that would lead to confidence and better play. And I think there's bits and pieces of that. That we see on the field now, we see them playing with a lot more communication, a lot more cohesiveness on the back end. The pass rush and the and the secondary are definitely married together. The addition of Quincy Rocher over Lorenzo Carter, a player that we like, but I think it's safe to say, Dan, Quincy Rocher is adding a lot more to this defense than Lorenzo Carter did. All of these things put together are are leading to this giants 2021 defense playing similarly to what the giants 2020 defense was which was a top 12 unit with the potential of being even higher especially since the fact that the giants don't even have blake martinez right now they're still doing it they added a dory jackson obviously xavier mckinney we saw i mean we'll get into all the defenders and everything like that but this is definitely a a good step in the right direction heading into the bye week for this defense but the offense damn it's it's not pretty yeah well let's
2: first talk about the good let's talk about the defense I want to give you credit Nick for Quincy Roche because I remember through the pre-draft process early on we kind of pinpointed him and people can go back I know one of our listeners shout out to who who you are I forget now so much there's so much interaction on a game day Sunday like in my mentions I'm pretty active on Twitter and I reply try to reply to every single person who tweets at me so there it is hard to kind of keep up with who says what but I remember one of us was like damn you guys are on to Quincy Roche pretty early and I got to give you credit for that Nick because I'll be honest we saw him a little bit differently i was not as big a fan of him now i wasn't as big a fan of him in the range he was originally talked up at the time we were talking him it was almost like early day two i felt like i was hearing like is he gonna sneak it around one is he you know but at worst he's gonna be a day two early guy and like then it was like oh maybe he'll be a day three and i was like okay i can get on board maybe with third round fourth but like Ultimately, he obviously fell in the draft. The Giants were able to scoop him basically for free, which is turning out to be amazing. But you were on to him, man, because when I watched him, I thought I saw a player who reminded me a lot of O'Shane Ziminens. Like, I felt like I was watching a very similar player, and that player I had already kind of seen not work out at the NFL level. But he's a different player. Like, he has more—it's not that he has more moves than—I think he has a better get-off than Ziminenz. And I feel like he's more physical at the point of contact. And, and ends. And right now, and we've already talked about on this podcast how he's a pinpoint, picture perfect fit for this specific Patrick Graham system. So right now, I feel like they're looking at a potential, like scoop it up, unbelievable pickup of the year. Like Nick Gates styles, uh undrafted, no, not undrafted, but Nick's Gates style late round scoop right now because this is back-to-back great games he's stacking. I love to see him on the field. He had a game-winning play today. I mean, that's a game winner. Like you get the best players on your teams are supposed to be making those game winning plays and they have Quincy Roche making that game winning strip sack. So I'm super excited about Quincy Roche. It makes me feel so much better about this edge position than I did. And we always talked about this off season, Like, did they do enough to upgrade the edge? Like at first it may have seemed like that wasn't the case, but if Roche can continue playing like this and I love, love, love what I've seen from ojalari I mean, this wasn't a Pinpoint perfect day for Ojalari. Let's say it wasn't like his best game of the season, but one, he made some really good low key plays. Like the when he ran down that screen, that could have saved that was one of the like game changing save saving stop. So, like Ojalari, Roche, I'm starting to feel pretty damn good about this edge group right now.
1: Yeah, no, we haven't even really seen anything from Ellerson Smith, who was just activated off the IR. So that's another player to add to that edge group. I mean, if you, if you look at it, man, if Matt Pear ever developed into anything, which uh, I don't know, man, he, he looked pretty bad at, at spots in this game. And then you have Andrew Thomas, who we're really high on. Then you have Aziz Ojolari. And if Quincy Rocher can become something, you have some bookend young talent at some really key pivotal positions on both sides of the football that this team can kind of grow with heading into the future. And I think that's something to just something to be excited about, especially when you group that with the play of safety, Xavier McKinney, my friend.
2: Yeah. And we can get into McKinney as well. I want to talk about one person you just mentioned, but let's, let's, let's save it for the offensive side of the ball. Let's talk about the next player here. And that's, Xavier McKinney, because this was a coming-of-the-age game for Xavier McKinney. I know he's entered this game with a decent amount of interceptions. Some, we felt, were not luck, but, like, kind of, I don't want to say luck. I don't really know what the term is for some of his early season interceptions. But the bigger issue wasn't, like, was he racking up interceptions? The bigger issue was, like, he was out of place a lot in coverage early on. It felt like there were mental lapses. The IQ wasn't there. And then he comes out today, and he makes two unbelievable plays here. And he's starting to turn into that deep half ball hawk that we both envision. When he came out, like I, I said, like, first of all, we both predicted in the offseason that by the end of the season, he's going to be known as we're going to. Bo- or at least my bold prediction was he'll be viewed as the best safety by far in this roster. We're almost there. Like it didn't take long. Like right now, I think I'd rather have him than any safety on this roster, even just after one game like that. And I know it's been kind of building on it, but the pick six, like we haven't seen a giant make a play like that in a long time, that kind of route recognition to undercut it, to make the, to make the catch to push off the receiver can maintain balance and then return them for a touchdown. And then later in the game, like Bradbury admitted, he's like, I got beat. I got beat on that double move. And then Xavier McKinney is there in that deep half coverage, that center field patroller to come over the top, jump that Derek Carr throw and intercept it for a second. The game almost kept his feet in for the return, just went out of bounds. I think he would have had a chance to return there too, but just two interceptions really changed this game because like the Giants squeaked out another one. That's the type of style of football. Joe judge is playing for us right now. It's squeak it out football. You want to win these games. By three to six, well, you're going to need massive plays. They got three massive plays from the guys we're talking about. The strip sack for Moshe, the interception for a touchdown. That put seven points on the board. I mean, the Giants are are not scoring many points. They had 17 points on offense this game. But uh, seven of those came from the McKinney interception. I'm not sure if they scored on the other drive where he had the uh, interception. Did they put a field goal on there? I can't even remember. Mm -hmm, Okay, so 10 points off of turnover. So really just 13 points from the Giants offense in this one. Um, so that's really just game-changing plays. Are you starting to see with McKinney a player who's uh, – because we've always talked about, like, he came from Alabama. Nick Saban had massive trust in him. He put the, you know, headset in. He was the quarterback of the defense. I remember reading something Saban was talking about, like, this is one of the smartest players I've ever had. I've had recently come through this program. And so are you starting to see the IQ catch up
1: for McKinney? absolutely man on the second interception that he had that was a double move by zay jones it was a it was an out and up move so basically zay jones hits the 30 yard line Goes like he's making just a quick little out route. Bradbury bites on it, and then he just turns it upfield, out and up. Bradbury takes kind of a bad angle and doesn't recover too well from the double move. And McKinney, the entire time, he's playing center field here, and it looks like it's a zone type of defense, maybe like a cover three. But you see Xavier McKinney just eyeing Derek Carr. Once Carr's hips and eyes go towards the double move, McKinney just beelines, takes a great angle, follows the path of the football, undercuts the route, and makes the interception. That is a great play there, man. That is play recognition. That is IQ. That is athletic ability. That is range. That is all of those things put together. And that, all those things put together make a good safety. And that's what Xavier McKinney is slowly developing into at this point. And I don't even want to say slowly, Dan, because you point you pointed this out last week. This is a player who basically missed his entire rookie season. We have seen a lot of mistakes this season in coverage on the All-22. Some of them were called back. Some of them were a little bit fortunate for the New York Giants. But I haven't seen him as much in the last three weeks. And if Xavier McKinney can play to his potential, this defense can even take – Whatever they showed in 2020, build upon that without even Blake Martinez and become an even better unit. Talking about like a top eight type of defensive unit, I think that's well within the cards, but probably not by the end of this year because they had such an atrocious start.
2: Yeah, and listen, when it comes to I can't, you just brought up a great point, like this team is going to be even better with Blake Martinez out there, and I hope this this offseason they find a way. I know. It's limited with what they can do because they don't really have any free agent space to use based on how they've spent their cap already. But they do have a lot of draft picks, and I hope they can find like you know a key Davis Gaither, who's the kid we loved. Was it Logan Wilson, the kid we loved because he's been unreal? Is that who it was yeah. on Cincinnati? Yeah, from I mean, he's from real we talked about him for months on the draft content and he's been unreal like just take a swing and third or fourth round on one of those inside backers try to find yourself something there because i would think that giant stevens could be a lot better if they didn't have tate crowder and the reggie raglins at that second level um you know blake will hopefully be back next year but you want you know coming off an injury you want to get some more depth there and some more talent there but man as far as mckinney goes like it's essentially his rookie season and Like you said, he's starting to really show that it's clicking for him mentally. And what you said there is the key thing there. Like the angles he takes on the football from that deep half center field role. That's why I originally was like, wow, I don't think the Giants have had a talent at free safety or safety, whatever you want to call them. These days they play all over the formation, every safety, but a deep half safety with that kind of talent since Kenny Phillips, like the angles that he takes on the ball. I remember it in that week 17 game against Dallas, where he just came like inches away from an interception on a play. He should have never intercepted, but the angle he took was really, really good. That's the type of instincts you can't teach. And I think McKinney has it. I'm super excited to see him put it together because man, did they need him to break out so bad. Like they need these early draft picks to start contributing big, 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 time things like we couldn't we couldn't keep getting the Meg games the math games from the Hernandezes and the McKinney's and the Dexter Lawrence's and all those first and second round picks they needed to start getting big 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 time games and they're starting to get them you know and so I was really excited who else in this defensive effort stood out to you
1: it's also Dexter Lawrence man with a couple of huge stops there was one on third down where he just planted I think it was Kenyon Drake but I'm not 100% sure in the backfield but unfortunately the the Raiders ended up running that option play with Marcus Mariota on fourth down and they ended up picking it up. And I also saw, I think, two more really big plays by Dexter Lawrence along the line of scrimmage. I saw, I think, two pressures from him that came off, that come off the top of my head as well. So I'm excited to kind of get into his tape in terms of the uh, the all 22 to see exactly how he was doing it because Dexter Lawrence is is, is he's a unique player, man. I mean, players who are 350 pounds pushing 350 shouldn't be able to move like he does. And I know he doesn't consistently apply the pressure that maybe we want him to, but sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, how much pressure should a 350 pound player really be applying? I think we kind of look at it as, yo, this guy was a 17th overall pick. He should be doing this, but is that fair for us to ask of him? Do you think Dan, or do you think we're just kind of taking out our frustrations on a, on the 17th overall pick being a defensive lineman and not necessarily contributing the amount of pressure that we want, in terms of rushing the passer.
2: Well, I actually personally think it is fair because we're not looking at it at the standpoint of like, what can this man do at this size? We're looking at the standpoint of if you're going to use a 17th overall pick on anyone in this in this league, he has to impact the passing game. That's, well, that's
1: just- my that's yeah. my point though. That's my point. Should we be taking that out on him? I feel like that's more of a frustration about David Gettleman and the draft capital rather than Dexter Lawrence. And that's not necessarily his game. His game is uh, a much different type of... Uh, more dominating at the point of attack. I don't want to say a two down run stuffer because I don't think that's fair, but I don't know if we should consistently expect a lot of upfield pressure from a guy who's 350 pounds. And I think he does it at a solid rate for a man of his size.
2: Yeah, he's okay for a man of his size, obviously. I think the bigger issues, though, if you want to take someone in that top 20 range, it's got to be like what Jeffrey Simmons was able to do tonight for Tennessee, like completely impact the game. And what we saw last week from Chris Jones as well. But yeah, you know, it is what it is. That's a whole different argument. And it, and it's kind of just like <laughs> the question of like, you know, how many times can you get away with taking these high guy, these, these first and second round guys who don't impact the passing game on a consistent basis. Um, Typically, you won't be able to build a championship roster that way, but it's not that doesn't mean Dexter Lawrence is not a good player on this football team. He's he's a fine player for this team. I'm not a huge fan of what he's contributing, but he's a fine player on this team. I wanted to call out though uh, Logan Ryan, who at times I've been hard on in the past. I thought he had an excellent game today. I feel like Logan Ryan's around the football at key times, which is it's just kind of who he is. He's a smart, savvy player. He's not flashy, but you know what? Honestly, with the salary cap rising, I think he's 10 mil a year, 10 to 12 mil a year against the cap. They push some of it back. I'm kind of fine with that right now. And I think he helps keep that defense together. He's a bit of a glue player. Uh, starting to come around to that. You know, I've never been a huge fan of those like uh, locker room type guys, uh, you know, with where some of their value comes from just quote unquote locker room contributions. But I did think he was around the ball a lot today and he did a good job today.
1: The tackle on third and six, uh, Derek Carr dropped the ball off to Josh Jacobs for about a three-yard game. And Logan Ryan made a nice open field tackle on Jacobs. He doesn't make that tackle. They can pick up that first down. They can end up scoring a touchdown. They would have took the lead there because the score was 20-16. to Because after that play, Daniel Carlson freaking missed a 25-yard field goal, which was insane to to see, to be honest. But that's a huge tackle there from... From Logan Ryan on that play and you're right there were other plays too that aren't coming to my mind right now where he was just all over the place making uh, just sound football decisions and getting the defense off the field which was something that they did a really good job at something they've been doing a really good job at. they did it against Kansas City and they definitely did it against Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers.
2: Yeah. And a couple more shout outs. We talked earlier about Adoree Jackson. I just love to watch him play. I can't wait to watch the all 22. I focus in on him more than probably anyone should or could for just an outside corner, but I feel like he's always in phase. I, I loved, I kind of felt like he had that kind of potential in Tennessee. And I know it's not like, it's hard to look at these guys and be like, he's a superstar for the giants because he's not like racking up picks or making crazy sacks on crazy, like defensive back blitz calls. But It's really not his job. It's more important for him to be doing what he's doing. He carries routes well, and he really doesn't let guys get open on him through all three depths of, uh, you know, levels of the field. And so I'm a big fan of Adoree Jackson. I'm happy that he's playing, in my mind, up to the contract. I want to give him a shout-out. I want to give Austin Johnson a shout-out as well. I thought he played well today. I wanted to say this, though, because something you just mentioned. One thing I've noticed the Giants are doing a lot better of, and this is actually a shout-out to another listener who uh, tweeted at me at some point during the game. Now forgetting who it is. Sorry about that. But the Giants have been really, really good in the red zone on defensively, obviously. <laughs> obviously, they haven't been good offensively in the, in the red zone. They're literally the worst offense in the NFL in the red zone. We know that. But defensively, they've been really, really good in the red zone recently. And my question to you is, do you think that has a lot to do with, one, their ability to just, like, When they get in those situations, they can drop seven. They can rush four. They, they, you know, they can get these type of coverage sacks or just like coverage type throwaways. And because they have really good coverage back there, and it kind of works
1: into how they
2: built out this defense with a coverage first mindset. Do you think that's playing a role in it?
1: I think it definitely is playing a role in it. I think it's also they do different things in coverage. They'll play zone, but they'll also man up and drop both their safeties like a two man drop buzz where both the safeties drop down and kind of play around the end zone. We saw them do that last week against the Chiefs, and both those safeties paid attention automatically to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Well, I believe on the third and three overthrow by Derek Carr, which was overthrown because the Giants were able to get pressure on him because Darren Waller was wide open on that play there. James Bradbury just uh, was a little bit behind Darren Waller, but you can see just it's man coverage. Both those guys dropped to the just a little bit, beyond the sticks because they could the Raiders were able to pick up a first down in that situation, so it wasn't goal to go. But you can see that there isn't a lot of space outside of Darren Waller and the fact that the Giants are able to get pressure with the likes of Quincy Roche and Aziz Ojolari and Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence. I think Reggie Ragland rushed the passer on that play. The fact that they're able to get the pressure there allows them to play man coverage and and just kind of harass the crap out of the quarterback. As long as they're tight on their man coverage assignments, which they were other than Waller there, then they seem to be doing a good job. And we've also seen them play a little bit of zone in that situation. They're not really playing a lot of man coverage this year. Not as much as we expected heading into the season, but when they do, it's in a Lot of key third and short situations like this, and sometimes the Giants bring pressure, sometimes they don't. And in this specific play, they just ran a linebacker stunt basically, and they were able to get enough pressure to force Carr to overthrow Waller there. Yeah, exactly right.
2: And it's just something good to see. uh Are you, you know, are you all the way back in on? I, I don't feel like you were never out, and neither was I, but there was a Tingent of the Giants fan base that was starting to be out on Patrick Graham and kind of blaming him early on for some of the defensive struggles. Where are you at with Graham right now? I feel really good about him as their coordinator.
1: Yeah, as do I. And we were never out, but we were just saying, look, you need to fix this. Like you need to make adjustments. You need to stop getting out-schemed by opposing offensive coordinators because those things were happening. They were. Pat Shermer did it. You could say Scott Turner did it for Washington, I would say as well. Oh yeah, for sure. So I look at what he's doing now and it's like yeah he's back to being the patrick graham that we expected him to be so i was never out on him but he i'm definitely wow i really came out uh my hockey came out there i said out sounded very good yeah, you you do
2: out you do out a lot by the way just letting you know nick
1: no i know i know yeah <laughs> i played hockey in my life and for whatever reason i just admit it i don't know i'm an idiot but uh
2: you're not like, an idiot that's for sure
1: thanks my man thank you but i i, I am uh i'm definitely fully back on the if Patrick Graham continues to to live up to this and if say if the Giants do go on some run he can easily be in consideration for a head coaching job but in order for that to happen the Giants have to push for wild card and the Giants have to kind of really re-vent, revent this defense. So this defense really oh my needs. God.
2: To... Nick, you just brought up a nightmare scenario for me.
1: Please, uh oh, no, I'm... I don't know
2: if I can handle that. If the Giants lose Patrick Graham but retain Joe Judge, it's just so devastating to me. They try it to judge prioritizing only... Judge over Graham. It's it's not nearly at the same level, but it's kind of like letting uh, Bill Belichick somehow get out of your crosshairs <laughs> or uh John okay, Payton.
1: I think it's a bit ambitious to say that. I, I do. No, okay.
2: Let's do Sean Payton to to keep Jim Fossil, but that's also just the joke. Obviously, Patrick Graham's not on the Sean Payton level uh, by any means or anywhere close. But I would much prefer. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a hypothetical. My answer is obvious. Um, if you could only keep one, Patrick Graham or Joe Judge, who would you keep? You had a gun to your head. You had to figure it out.
1: I mean, I don't really like. Even get it because why would Patrick Graham stay if Joe Judge is gone as part of his staff? Patrick Graham
2: elevated to head coach. He picks his own coordinator.
1: <laughs> I guess it would be Patrick Graham because I feel like I have more confidence in what Patrick Graham can do with the defense rather than what Joe Judge can do as the head football coach. But I'm not as down on Joe Judge, I feel like, as as the majority of uh, Giant fans are right now. I, I don't love everything that he does. I definitely don't. But I, I, I'm, I'm not fully out on him, I, I would say, either.
2: I like that the team plays hard for him, but I feel like that happens for a lot of coaches. Uh, I think he does a great job of preparing this team to play outside of the game. I think he's an awful in-game coach so far in his career. Now that can improve. People have discussed this with me all week and they, you know, we've had a lot of conversations, some good, some, you know, people yelling at me or not like, you know, they don't (laughs) like something. They just go off, but you know how Twitter is, but you know, that can hopefully improve. I guess I, I, I think it may, but some of the things he says makes me lead leads me to believe it won't. I thought he coached this game really poorly at the end of the game when they kind of just kind of uh, move the ball into, into Oakland range and then just, or sorry, Vegas range. And then just said, F it. Let's kick a field goal and left like two minutes on the clock. This time it worked out and I felt like it actually was going to because the Giants defense was playing so well, but I don't think you can rely on that long-term. And I don't like the idea of trying to grind out wins in the NFL. I don't think it, it gives you any kind of super Bowl upside. Now, some people say, well, listen, it's not his fault. The personnel is what it is. The offense line is what it is. I understand all of that, but I just need to see it before I can believe it that it's going to be different than this. So right now, I'm definitely not uh, a pro judge by any means. Uh, if it was Graham or Judge, I definitely keep Graham as the head coach, uh, elevate him, and then bring in like an offensive mind that actually fits Daniel Jones's skill set and an offensive mind that actually wants to score more than 13 points per game or whatever the heck it was today. So that would be my take, but. You know, we'll see where it's at. I hope they can retain Graham. So let's flip it to the other side of the ball, the offensive side of the ball now. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to your award from our sponsors.
1: What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K, that's is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just wanna go check out the Giants, you know, pregame. hopefully they win a football game, then please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
2: Obviously, this part is not going to be as fun to talk about. Uh, You know, we discussed it earlier. They only put up 13 points as an offense without turnovers. They put up a field goal off the McKinney interception that put them just outside of Gano's range. And then McKinney returned an interception for a touchdown. That's seven points that has nothing to do with the offense. But the weird thing to me, Nick, is this. They opened up the game when seven plays, 75 yards with a touchdown on a really well designed 30 yard shot to Devin Ingram. Jones put a great ball on Ingram made a great catch. He elevated. He did something. I haven't seen that often for minimum career, which is body control and the ability to adjust in air, make a catch, come down with it. This offense looked like it was cooking on the first drive. I mean, there were, play, it was, it was a lot of run game for sure, but they obviously started off with a really nice uh, design play to get Rudolph over them. But then they cooked on that third, on that second and five, they took a shot, like something we never see from Jason Garrett in this offense. It was second and five at the Vegas 30. And instead of thinking, let's move the chains to get to the 25 for another first down. they took a shot there that could have been incomplete and led the third and five and look what happens. It's a touchdown. Basically like their only touchdown. had one more score. Like their only like big, long touchdown drive came on that one. Or actually, no, it was what, what that was their only touchdown of the the game that was offensive. So, to me, man, like I look at this and I hear it. I hear all the excuses, Nick. Oh, their offensive line is so bad; it's all unbelievably bad. Look at how many times he was pressured. Uh, and and by the way, the Raiders came into this game as like a top five team, I believe, or it was either top five or top seven in total pressure. So they were a defense that was able to get. They have Max Crosby, who was an incredible draft pick for them. They they get pressure up front, but man, I don't buy that excuse fully because I know. I follow this league for a living. I know there are offensive lines that are just as injured, if not more injured, and struggling just equally as bad as the Giants. I know there are coordinators who are finding ways to move the football. And not only that, we saw it with our own eyes. They went seven plays, 75 yards, and ripped the 30 yard touchdown pass to Evan Ingram. And then it's just like shell the rest of the game. They just totally shut down. So I don't know, man. What do you make of what happened on offense today?
1: Well, I wouldn't need to see the tape to see exactly why things bogged down, but they were running the ball very efficiently they were able to clear a lot of paths against this Raiders defense they were opening huge holes and Devante Booker was doing a really excellent job finding them again he's actually really surprising on that opening touchdown drive though that touchdown catch to Evan Ingram that was just an excellently designed play it was an out and up to Evan Ingram who was the number two receiver it was a two by two set but they had the number one receiver Colin Johnson run a deep post route which basically cleared that one side of the field and isolated Evan Ingram against uh, number 24 of the Raiders so there was no safety over the top and it was just a beautiful ball by Daniel Jones beautiful catch by Evan Ingram but those things they're, they're not always repeated I'm not really 100% certain what the Raiders did on the back end to prevent those types of shots but we'll look into the film to see exactly what happened we'll get once we get the all 22 and everything but this team is traditionally conservative but I don't think they were just like hey we don't want to score but you're right. They, they tend to run the football a lot if they can and, and, and establish the run and, you know, be a little bit more safe once they get into their own area. I do believe that the the offensive line issues, the lack of talent and the unhealthy nature of certain players who may be out there playing may limit Jason Gary a little bit. That does happen around the league as well. But I do believe there is merit to that argument.
2: No, I believe there's merit, too. I just don't believe it's it's pity me the Giants are the only team in this spot. There are plenty of teams yeah, in yeah. this spot. Some teams doing a better job generating offense than others, and I think you kind of broke it down there, man. Like, there are more – we'll have to look at the tape. Like, I can't tell you I'm, – I'm not going to tell you in good faith that the Giants had more opportunities, but – You're going to get more opportunities when you do things like you just said. You run a deep post that clears out the safety there, and you run an out and up when you're running these out-type routes and these stop-type routes all game. You can pop that type of play at least more than once. And just in general, you can have plays that attack vertically more often. They ran the ball on first down on an insane amount of plays. Now that's okay. You're running the ball fine. I get it. But when Daniel Jones attempts just one pass 15 yards down the field, and he has been consistently through his career, one of the better and more efficient deep ball passers in the NFL. I just don't buy it because we've seen times this season where all Daniel Jones needed was two steps, hit the back foot and throw down field based on the design of the play. And there have to be more than one total opportunity in a full game to have a play designed like that, where you can just hit your back foot and rip it downfield based on the route combinations that you put out there to put stress on the safeties. We've been talking about this for two years now, and I just find it really, really difficult to believe that there was only one total opportunity for Daniel Jones to attempt to pass 15-plus yards down the field. I think this is actually courtesy. I'm trying to look it up now. Yeah, the Giants ran the ball in 16 of 19 first downs after their first possession. This is courtesy of Bobby Skinner. Actually, they got nine total points on those drives, nine total points. And one of them, like we already talked about came after the McKinney interception that set them up in uh, the Raiders side of the field, just outside of Gano's range. It's just not a formula I think can consistently win in the NFL Yeah, you can consistently grind out 9 to 10 wins like this, but it's really tough to contend for Super Bowls when you're not trying to throw the football more than 15 yards down the field. I I get it. It's a game plan. You're running the ball well. You have faith in your defense. But you're putting your defense in so many tough spots. They had to stop them, drive after drive after drive. Even at the end, they had to do another one of these drives where the Raiders have a minute and a half to move the football. And, you know, they almost did. They got into scoring range. So, I don't know, man. I just feel like this offense, to me, I I, I understand the excuses. I don't think they're invalid. I think there is some merit to them. But I think part of it is the mindset that the Giants have right now, uh, how they want to try to win football games.
1: Yeah, but – a lot of the reason why they wanted to run the football was to slow down Max Crosby and to slow down Yannick Ngakwe and to not put as much stress on that offensive line. And that is a huge part of the game plan here is you have to scheme. And I know you know this too. Like you have to scheme around... What you have at the offensive line, and that could be a big reason why Daniel Jones was only sacked twice. Uh, he had the one fumble, which is un- unfortunate. Matt Parrot was just beat terribly there. So the Giants went with and it was one. also
2: bad by Jones. let's not let's not give him a, a, an okay here because he's got yeah, to hold to to on hold on. I agree with his that, grip yeah, strength yeah. has remained a massive problem. He actually has seven fumbles this year. people low-key, he's still fumbling at a very high rate. Seven he's fumbles just, in what are we? nine games? Some yeah, have been recovered. Just, we've been very lucky with recovering them this year We've been'm sorry.
1: We've been insanely lucky with recovering them. But that's what led to a lot of Devontae Booker because it's not like Jason Garrett every single game has come out and consistently ran the ball on first down. I think it was the Carolina game. He just went out there and he was passing. There were a couple games this season where he was hitting the play action, you know, the move-the-pocket type plays, bootlegs, rollouts, all of those types of plays, and throwing the ball a lot on first. Down. A lot of it. Is- it's dependent on what your your opposition is doing. And the Raiders are a team that like to penetrate. They're, they're a team that like to pin their ears back. They're a team that like to get after the passer because they have the personnel to do so. So the Giants were like, we're going to take advantage of your critical vulnerability, which is stopping the run. So slow down Devontae Booker. And somehow the Giants offensive line was able to get some push up front because those were some nice holes, man. Those were some nice holes. So they were just kind of going with the game plan. But I, I get what you're, what you're saying though, man. Yeah, I want to see a little bit more Passing downfield as well, but not if it's going to put Daniel Jones into a situation where he's going to get murdered because Nate Solder and Matt Parrott are his tackles.
2: No doubt about it. You have to pick and choose, but it's not really just the downfield stuff for me because it's more so like like I totally get what you're saying. It makes sense to run in some spots, but... There's just no way I can Vince of two things here. The first one would be that they couldn't have come out one drive, went no huddle, and spread it out and passed the ball to mix things up. That's something you should be doing every game. If you have one game plan like this, which was an obvious one, Like, like I said, they ran 16 of 19 first downs after their only touchdown drive. If you have a game plan like that, well, then you need to do one drive where you just mix it up and you throw the defense off guard. So I can't be convinced that that's that's good coaching that they didn't have that in mind at all. Any point, try to put points on the board because again, you, the goal is to score seven points every time you get the ball. That has to be the goal. It cannot be anything else. It cannot be grind time. It cannot be grind clock. It Cannot be field position. It has to be seven points. The good Super Bowl teams have that goal every time they touch the ball, and. The other thing I can't be convinced of is that you need protection to have had Tony be a big part of this game plan. There's just too much of what I saw against Dallas where they really didn't have these long five-step, seven-step drops or long-developing pass plays but still found a way to get Tony involved that I just can't take that at surface level. And the the third thing is that there's just no way for me to believe that they couldn't have involved Kenny Galladay on some in-breaking routes. The Raiders are not really strong at the cornerback position at all. Kenny Galladay is a mismatch on the outside. At all times, on in-breaking routes, on back shoulder stuff, if you want to throw to him to the outside, which Daniel Jones can do a pretty good job of, if you want to just kind of run a little bit of like a stop-and-go vertical route, a lot of different one-on-one routes for Galladay have to have been there at some points in this game. But they're not there when you run the ball on 16 of 19 first downs. They can't be there because you don't give them a chance to be there. And so... I, that, I can agree with you on a lot of it, Nick, but I can't agree with you on it being just non-existent. I can agree, okay, this was a game, lean on the run game, the all line is that bad. You obviously don't want to come out firing the ball at all times, but there's just no way that it was never, there was never a time to get Tony involved all game. Even if you just had Tony running motion all game, right? Like, pre stat motion, occasionally you dump it off to him, occasionally you throw a screen, run that play where, you know, the play where he uh, is the quarterback, where he can run with it, which they did actually at one point, but I don't know, man. I just feel like it couldn't have been a non-existent like it was
1: today. So if you you want to win long-term, I guess, because they won today. There's no denying that. (laughs) Yeah. The one thing I will say, though, then they did try to go empty and it was a first and 10, the the first play of the third drive and it was a sack fumble. So like they, they tried that and it, it no, no, I know they
2: tried it once, but
1: it's like you, you give
2: up on it after one miss. I don't know.
1: I mean, I just don't think Jason Garrett wanted to put those guys on an island. And and I can understand that. And I still yeah. understand what you're saying as well. I don't think you're off. And the whole thing about Kadarius Tony as well, man, he's he's hurt, bro. Like he's not 100%. I, I, I just don't think he is. On the catch that he had, he just doesn't look like he has the same pop, the same burst. Joe Judge, yeah, Joe Judge was asked about it after the game too. And he didn't want to say Kadarius Tony was healthy. He did the whole coach thing. But he just said basically there's not a player in the NFL who isn't – injured somewhat right now and he basically gave that like vague type of answer but then at the end of the answer he kind of alluded to like yeah the bye week's like going to be good for him and stuff like that so i think he's definitely not even close to being 100 that's the only excuse that i can think of as to why he's not more involved in, in this game plan i don't think it's negligence and and jason garrett just being like you know what we're not going to use this guy who's kind of been very productive for us when he when he was healthy I, I think he's still kind of ailing from that angle
2: That could be the case, in which case I wish they just wouldn't play him and they'd let him get healthy instead of playing him through the injury. But hopefully the bye week will improve that. We'll find out. Uh, But the Galladay stuff is, I mean, maybe he's also quote-unquote still hurt. I don't know. But he looked fine out there to me. There has to be more matchups for Galladay. They have to. If they're going to go out and spend this kind of money on Galladay, he has to be a part of every game plan in my mind, especially when you know that it's like passing wins you game. Passing scores you touchdowns. Like, I don't know, man. It's just, it's tough to watch. It's tough for me to watch this type of game, but I know it worked, quote unquote, today. And I'll use quotations for work because it they don't win this game without the defensive plays by McKinney, the two, and the defensive play by Roche at the end, among others. So it, quote unquote, worked, I guess, this game. Uh, Long term, I, I, I remain skeptical of a game plan like this. I really do. Uh, and just a mindset like this. Like when they got in at the end and they were driving 20 to 16. I, I didn't love how they just shut down completely and took the field goal. I'll be honest with you, but it is what it is. This is, the, this is the offense right now. Hopefully I, I'm hoping Thomas comes back after the buy, but I think everybody's hoping for that. And they can get parrot to the right side, uh, get Solder off the field. It doesn't really seem like much good is going to come of the interior the rest of the year. It kind of is what it is. Um, but if they can kind of get Thomas back, I feel like it's going to help everyone.
1: I would agree, man. Andrew Thomas, I can't, like, I don't forget about it but I don't think about it as much because he's been out for a few games. Now he was playing like top notch football, man. He was playing excellently. Like I'm really forward- good football.
2: And he. it's so clear. Like it's, this should be like, I feel like this should be like, when we talk always on the, how long, long, how often have we talked on this podcast of how important it is to offensive, to build an offensive line in the NFL and how much offensive line play wins football games. And, you know, when you watch the games the Giants have had on offense with and without Thomas this season, because it's hard to go back to last year because Thomas wasn't playing last year like he is now. But if you watch the games just from this year, especially on the all 22, you just see how important he is to this roster. Like besides Daniel Jones, I'm not sure they have a more valuable player. He's not the highest paid, but I would take, I think he is more important to the Giants success than even Leonard Williams, to be honest with you, or potentially even a Bradbury type, you know, like, All these guys on the defensive side of the ball, he just means so much. Now, partially, that's because they have zero depth at tackle. Um, And like you said, they can't trust Parrott on an island. Parrott had not one, like you said. He had the one big island play, got absolutely destroyed off the snap. And that's been kind of consistent for him. Obviously, Solder is even worse on the other side. But right now, I'm not sure there's a more important player. Do you think there's a more important
1: player for this football team after Daniel Jones, obviously,
2: than Andrew Thomas?
1: I'd say no. And it would be, I think that's interesting because I don't think it's a a slam dunk no. Because I think you could look at the defense and you could probably, like James Bradbury, that's a good case. You know, Leonard Williams maybe is a good case, even though he might not be in the Aaron Donald that we hoped he would be after being paid the money that he is, but he's still wildly productive and a huge part of what the Giants are doing. You know, if Xavier McKinney keeps playing as well as he did today. He could even make a case, but I'm not quite there yet. So I, I would say yes to Andrew Thomas, but I don't think it's slam dunk.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think it's not a slam dunk. It's fine, but I would also say Andrew Thomas as well. I'd be with you on that.
1: Yeah, and Andrew Thomas. I mean, we're not certain of the the length of Daniel Jones's uh, stay here in New York, right? like we're we're not 100% sure if he's going to be here if if this if this regime re, uh, remains. We think I think the Giants will pick up his fifth year option and then they'll make a decision after that and I think it's going to be interesting. But that's not the case with Andrew Thomas. Like I am under the impression that Andrew Thomas is going to be here for the next 10 to 15 years.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. If Daniel Jones didn't play quarterback, I would certainly say Thomas is the most important player on this roster, but quarterback is just everything in this league. I mean, yeah. they're not winning <laughs> any games like Glennon, in my mind um at all, really. But Yeah, man, I want to talk about something else here, too, on the offense. I want to talk about Devontae Booker, and I want to talk about the run blocking, which I now feel like started to improve a little bit last week, specifically in the second half, and then kind of carried that over this week. I know it kind of fits in with what the Raiders do and don't don't and do well, so they're much better pass defense than, uh, you know, run defense. But I thought the run game was really strong today, and I'll be honest with you, man. As I watched Devontae Booker... I don't know, man. I start to see a lot of the things, a lot of the traits that Saquon Barkley lacks. And I've been long on the record as saying I would take Nick Chubb over Saquon Barkley. I would take Dalvin Cook over Saquon Barkley. These are two of the best processing running backs in the NFL. Chubb had an 80-yard touchdown run where he was weaving in and out of defenders this, this game. And the, and Dalvin Cook, They're both of them have incredible vision, incredible processing decisiveness, picking the right holes and being decisive and right with the holes they pick. And as I watch Devonte Booker who has a little bit of that in his game, obviously not as much and he's not nearly the athlete of a Chubb Cook or obviously Barkley who's the best athlete of all four. It starts to kind of burrow into me at least what Barkley doesn't do well, and I feel like vision and processing and picking the right holes and being decisive and, pa- and man, he's 235. He really could be a powerful between-the-tackles type runner if he was a little bit more decisive and got vertical a little bit earlier and picked the right holes. It's not even just decisiveness, though, with Barkley. It's also processing. Like He's just... Even at Penn State, that offense with with uh Joe Moorhead, it was very much so an offense that limit that limited what we would see at the NFL level. Like it was out of the gun all the time with McSorley and Barkley. Barkley bounced a lot of stuff outside just like he does at the NFL level. And I just feel like, man, when I watch Booker, like I, I just I'm not positive Barkley's picking every hole that Booker picked today. I'll be honest with you. I'm just not sure of it.
1: I, I think Saquon Barkley, I don't think his his vision and his decisiveness is abysmal. I don't think it's marginal. I just don't think it's nearly as good as some of those other top backs and he's in the he's in the consideration with those top backs those chubs those Jonathan Taylor even who I feel like has has done a much better job with his vision in this second year than he did in the first year granted towards the end of the year last year he was really really effective in that area it seemed like from the outside looking in but that's probably my biggest thing with Saquon, and we've we've you know kind of beat this dead horse. It's, he's not the most decisive back. I, I wouldn't say it's a terrible trait of his. In comparison to Devontae Booker, bro, you're kind of onto something there because Booker, man, he has enough patience. He waits for blocks to materialize, and you see like two holes open up and him actually go into the right hole and, and, and manipulate that linebacker into a spot that he wants him to be. We broke down that play against the Kansas City Chiefs where he set up outside to get Willie Gay to go outside before exploding back inside for like an 11-yard gain. If he hit that hole, like I said, man, if he hit that hole before when it was open, it was like a two-yard gain because Willie Gay would have just hit him. That's like really next-level processing type stuff. It's just, as you said, Devontae Booker isn't near the athlete. Devontae Booker is pretty slow, to be honest, for an NFL running back. But vision-wise, power falls through contact, contact balance durability even though he left this game with a little hip injury he's he's a damn good pick for what he is right now
2: yeah and I think you actually just nailed it right there like how I'm feeling I think that's the best way to describe it like I haven't seen enough runs in Barkley's career where he did what you just said on that game play. Like, it's a great example. Manipulate the linebacker to get him to the spot where you don't want him, where he doesn't, where he shouldn't be, and then you now have a crease and you now have a play that would have been two yards. Now it's 11. And there's just not enough manipulation of the linebackers from Barkley's game. I feel like a lot of what I see from Barkley is very, like, helter-skelter. It's very kind of, like, move, 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 hectic, hectic, hectic bounce or something like that. And it's just not a lot of patience and not a lot of manipulation and of the linebackers and processing. And that's something that I'm not just, I'm not sold as going to really just improve. Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much of that is instincts, man. I'm not sure how much of that can change. And he's still a great like player. We want him on the field. He helps the giants win games for as long as he's on this rookie contract. But there's nothing I've seen so far that has changed my mind. Obviously, me and you started in the same place. We have all of our reasons for believing that. And I know you thought of this the day he was drafted. Am I wrong? And you could correct me if I'm wrong, Nick. But the day he was drafted, both of us were in the same camp. It's going to be very difficult for him to convince us he's deserving of a second contract. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, my friends, we still laugh about it because I was so like upset at the pick. And everyone's like yo, Nick, like this guy's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, he's awesome. I love the kid. Like he's going to be great. But like, this is just not the way you build a roster. Like that was my whole thing. And uh, we still laugh about it today.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It was a little different in my household because none of us wanted Barkley. We all despised that pick. We were were, So it wasn't as much of like, I, I, I think there were probably some people in my life at the time who were just like, oh, sick. It's Saquon Barkley. He was so sick at the college level. He's unbelievable. They're like, get him or whatever. But you know, for the most part, it was it was kind of like, what the hell did we just do taking a running back at second overall? But it, it, the problem is, it's not even like a running back who's Nick Chubb and an amazing athlete, like a combination of Chubb's vision processing with Barkley's athleticism. He doesn't have what I would want. Like, I, I would rather resign a Nick Chubb or a Dalvin Cook than a Barkley, to be honest with you, because those guys can keep running games moving like we saw today. Uh, from Devonte Booker. And like we've seen at times from both of those guys and those guys have the processing and the vision and the patience to, be a super big asset and in my mind force the defenses to account more in my opinion i think it's tougher to defend a running back like that than it is a cj 2k type of chris johnson type which i think really is what barkley is very much like a chris johnson except the fact that he you know hasn't had 2 yard season but he's very similar traits to me and his similar style and similar boomer bust type guy so i don't know it's like we said it would be hard for me to from what I've seen so far, I think the Giants will be taking a massive, massive step backwards if they give him like a, a massive contract uh, after the rookie deal runs out. But, you know, for now, kudos to Vonte Booker. Great game from him. And what about the run blocking? Do you think we're starting to get something going there?
1: Absolutely, man. And This is the second game in a row. I mean, I, against Carolina, they, they, they did a solid job, I, I think. But it wasn't, a, it wasn't anything overly spectacular. It was a little bit better against Kansas City. And then I'm really excited to see the All-22 to see how they moved bodies. In this game, man, because they were uh, there were some big holes there for Booker. Booker was finding them well, and that was the whole identity of what Jason Garrett and Joe Judge wanted to do on offense, as we said. I mean, Daniel Jones completed what 15 passes in this game, and it was a close game for the most of the game. He only attempted 20 passes, just went north of 100 yards, you know. So it was run the football, and they were able to do so. I would say pretty damn effectively, averaging 4.8 yards per carry with Daniel Jones, Elijah Penny, and Devontae Booker.
2: Yeah, exactly. And we'll have to see the film, I guess. that's Stay tuned. That'll be a good thing to break down the All-22. What happened with the run blocking? How are they able to generate such a consistent run game? Give themselves a chance to, you know, grind clock out, create some yards on the ground game, keep the ball, all sorts of things that kind of helped lead to this victory. And I'll be interested to see if Parrot played a role in it. I feel like Parrot had a good run blocking game. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, Nick, at this point when Thomas is back, I personally want to see Parrot on the field over Solder. Where are you at in that battle?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think Matt Perry, he should be what you hope is your long-term right tackle, right? And I think we've seen enough this season to be like, that's not necessarily encouraging, but let's keep seeing more. Whereas Nate Solder, it's like, this guy is what, 34 years old. He should be your swing tackle. He shouldn't be your starting tackle at this point. I think you go with pair. If, if he can handle the transition back to the right side, since he's playing the left side, which, you know, I know that a lot of people who are experts on the offensive line say that's difficult, but we've seen Matt Parrot play both sides this season. Right. So I I don't think that should be an issue. So I, I would definitely be team paired there.
2: Yeah, for Sure. Uh, and as far as long-term goes, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how I feel about Barrett long-term at this stage, but we have, that's the point. That's why we need to keep him on the field. We need to see, you know, if he can improve, if he can get become a, a player that we can count on for the future, anything else on the offensive side of the ball. I feel like there's not really anything to talk about passing game wise. I mean, if there's anything you, you know, like you said, I mean, they attempted 20 passes completed. I think Jones was eight of his first eight ended up 15 of 20 Um, just 110 yards though. So, Really nothing going there. Gale had two catches for 28. Booker had a couple dump downs. Rudolph had a couple dump downs, four dump downs. And Ingram had the one big catch for 30 and then a couple dump downs. Anything to take
1: away? Saw so a lot of 13 personnel, baby. <laughs> we went; They went heavy quite often in this game. It seemed like uh, all those tight ends were out there. So it should be a fun watch on the all 22. Yeah, for sure. All right, Nick,
2: anything else to wrap up on the game before we move forward?
1: Nah, man. Enjoy the bye week. Come out strong against Tampa Bay.
2: For sure. And we might have some surprises planned for the bye week. Hopefully some good ones. We'll follow up on those later. Have a great rest of your week though, everyone. And we'll talk to you soon. Peace out.